Good morning, Oakwood. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to jump right in. We're in the second week of our series called Armor Up. Today we're going to kind of key in on verse 14, but I want to go back and read verses 10 uh, through verse 14 to kind of talk a little bit about some of the things that Eric talked about last week, just kind of review that. Maybe some of you weren't here, but I think it's always good to kind of review. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when that day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. All right, so we are... In this series, The Armor of God, and I love this t-shirt. We've got a picture of it. If you could read that, it says, don't fight naked. Put on the full armor of God. I love that t-shirt. I would totally wear it. I really would. Before we get into verse 14, I want to kind of go back and and touch on this again, kind of what Eric Uh, spoke about last week as he introduced this series, Armor Up. First thing I want us to notice here is that we have to recognize we are in the midst of spiritual warfare. We have to acknowledge and recognize that there is a real person called Satan, a real destination called hell, and he has a whole bunch of warrior demons that help him out. And they're not our friends at all. They are actually out to destroy us. And Satan is not as Hollywood portrays him. You know, if you look on, on, on any movie, they're, they're going to show Satan as some kind of a, a character in a red rubber suit with horns, holding a pitchfork. And he's maybe kind of funny, and he's really kind of harmless. Let me tell you, that is nothing like Satan. Okay, Satan is described in the Bible as a beautiful creature. In fact, he was created by God. He had great value to God. And if you read the description, Satan was a a, a model of perfection. So he wasn't some kind of an ugly creature that was out there to just to try to scare people. In hell, if you listen to maybe a lot of popular singers try to describe what hell is, that it's a party location. Hey, 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 we're going to have a party. Let me tell you, that isn't what the Bible describes hell is about. Hell is a place of eternal darkness, torment, hopelessness, despair, and unbearable pain. It's not a party destination. And if people go there with that idea, it's not going to take them very long to figure it out that this was inaccurately described. You'd be surprised and maybe amazed at the number of so-called Christians that do not want to acknowledge that there is a 
real Satan, a real hell, and he has a whole bunch of warrior demons. There's a lot of people who don't want to acknowledge that, even Christians. Several years ago, there was a, one of our local churches, their minister said from the pulpit, and, and this was broadcast on Pegasus TV, and if you're new here or don't know what Pegasus is, that was a station that broadcast local events and different programming, some churches broadcast their services. But this minister said from the pulpit that he did not believe in a literal Satan or a literal hell. I couldn't believe it. I had to go back and watch it again and, and listen to it again to make sure I actually heard what I thought he said. Second thing I want us to, to remember is that we have to understand that we can't fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. Guns, knives, bombs, tanks, planes, they're all powerless in this battle. Second Corinthians 10 verse 4 said, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay, so we have to acknowledge that we are in spiritual warfare, and we have to understand that you can't fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. But we have the power that God gives us when we put on the armor of God to demolish the strongholds. So this is where we have to, as Christians, change our thinking. We can't fight spiritual with physical. Can't happen. And we have to, we have to understand that. Third thing I want us to notice is the word stand. This is mentioned four times in these four verses. Paul wants us to get this in our idea that we have to take a stand against the devil. Now, the dictionary defines taking a stand as opposing somebody, to take a position in opposition to someone or something to resist. So we're not standing here naked and afraid, but we are standing here fully clothed and dressed with the armor of God on. And in fact, if you look in Scripture, there's nowhere are we commanded that we're to run from the devil. In fact, just the opposite happens. When we armor up, he's going to realize he is outmatched and overpowered, and he's actually going to run from us. So we're not to run away. We're to actually get ready to be engaged in spiritual warfare here. So what it means to, to stand, it means I'm not going to give ground, I'm not going to retreat, I'm not going to surrender, but I'm going to stand my ground. Too often we hear this term, and maybe you've said it yourself, well, that's not a hill to die on, right? We make an issue or we take a stand, well, that's not a hill to die on. I want to tell you, friends, when we take a stand for the Lord, it's a hill to die on. There are a lot of people who take stands today. It might be a political stand. It might be a social injustice. And all those are good things, maybe, to take a stand for. But you better be ready to take a stand for the Word of God. That better be the hill that you're ready to die on. And I want to tell you something. When you take a stand for God, get ready because you may be standing there all alone. That's right. You may stand all alone for God. 
And be prepared that you may take some blows. You may get bloody in taking that stand. But I don't know about you, friends, but I, ready, I would rather stand for the Lord all alone and take some blows and get bloodied than stand with this world with no opposition. Amen? Verse 13 tells us, uh, if we look here, put on this armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Friends, I think we are living in the day of evil. You look around the world, what's happening, is, is there anybody that could deny the fact that things are getting pretty evil right now? Kind of a... a, a a bad time to live sometimes when we, when we begin to process all this. But I want to tell you something. You think they're bad now. Scripture tells us they're only going to get worse. The days of evil are not only here now, but they're going to become more and more and more evil before the day of the Lord. Now, I don't want to scare anybody, but that's why we've got to armor up. Because the days are going to get more and more evil. Let's get to verse 14. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Here in verse 14, he begins again, we're instructed to stand firm. He keeps repeating that phrase, stand firm, take a stand. So I don't know about you, but when somebody keeps saying something in Scripture over and over again, it's normally important. It means we need to pay attention, get ready to stand. But when we stand, it means I'm not budging, not even a little bit. I'm taking a stand. I'm not going to retreat. So he tells us to take a stand, but then to put on the belt of truth. Now, what's the pur purpose of a belt? Purpose of a belt Guys, we know this is keep our pants up, right? If we didn't have, have a belt on, many of us would lose our pants. In fact, there was something very popular several years ago called sagging. Do you guys remember that? When a lot of guys would buy these pants like two and three sizes bigger than they needed, and they had them down here, and to keep their pants up, they kind of had to waddle, just kind of like this, you know? Now, I don't know about you, but that's not going to be a very effective way to maneuver if you have to outrun an angry dog, okay? You're going to wish you had a belt on. In fact, when I was on the school board and this was such a popular thing, we had to actually redo the school dress code to address this whole issue of sagging. You know, you couldn't just say, guys, nobody wants to see your underwear, your hind end hanging out. Pull your pants up. Put a belt on. Whatever it takes. And if sagging was the way to do that, you would see athletes doing that. I can promise you that if you go to the Junior College World Series this week, you're not going to see any of those baseball players sagging, running to first base, trying to hold up their pants with one leg or your arm and trying to get to first base. They might do that one time and the coach is going to say, son, you either wear a belt and pull your pants up or, or take a seat over here because you're not going to be able to do that very well. And, and for guys, 
when we get dressed, normally you put your pants on to it, and then you put your belt on. It's one of the last things that we do. Paul, though, tells us this is the first piece of armor to put on, the belt, because it's important. You see, a Roman soldier wore a tunic under his armor, okay? Now, a, a tunic, I think, maybe like a big robe of some type, okay? And this girdle, as some versions called it, or this belt, was a, a leather apron-like piece that extended down past the waist actually to the thighs protecting, you know, the lower abdomen, the, the private areas, your legs. I'm trying to be, you know, PG here because this is a family Sunday here. So it would protect you. But that belt also would be used to gather this tunic so that it would get out of the way. Because if that thing was, was hanging, it would become a, a real burden in battle. You couldn't move freely. So the belt was the first part of armor that we're told to put on because it held everything else in place. It was crucial. The belt also held the scabbard for the knife or the sword. So it was important. I uh, talked to a police officer this week, and I, I said, hey, let me just talk to you about your belt for a minute. I'm preaching on the belt here. And he had that belt, and I said, tell me what all you're carrying here. Well, he had a pistol on one side, a taser. He had two sets of handcuffs in case there were two bad guys. He had some extra ammunition. He had a flashlight, and then he had a little expandable baton that he pulled out and he could do this and, you know, in case somebody needs bopped on the head or something, you know. And that was an important piece of equipment, that belt that had held everything together for him. Much like a carpenter, you know, puts on a belt that holds his hammer and maybe some tools, some nails, uh, his tape measure, the different stuff. So we understand how important it is to have a belt, And we're told to put on the belt of truth. So you see, truth is a critical component for every believer in this spiritual battle. We've already acknowledged that we're in spiritual warfare, right? So it's important to put on truth because without it, you're going to be unprepared to take a stand and fight. That's why Paul said this is the first piece of armor to put on is the truth. Well, what is truth? You ask people today what, what truth is, and it's, you're going to come up with a lot of different answers because what's truth for me may not be truth for you because there's different standards of truth. And we live in a world today that really fails to acknowledge or recognize any absolute truths. Well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. And so pretty much people make up their own standard of truth today, don't they? So where's truth found? Well, Facebook, of course, right? They've got their own fact checkers. <laughs> so if it's on Facebook, it has to be true. No? What about Snoops or Snopes, whatever you call him? You know, they, that's all he does is fact check things. And, and so if he says it's true, then it's true, right? If it's on the internet, surely it's got to be true. Somebody's checking this stuff off, right? What about if a professional athlete says something 
it's, I mean, we're going to take it that they're not going to lie to us. It's got to be truth. Or if a singer or actor says something, it's going to be true. Media. You know, can you, you actually remember a time when the news media reported things and you honestly believed them? You think, oh, they're really telling the truth. Now, news media puts their own slant to it. Well, however they're wanting you to believe, that's what they believe. And they want you to believe what they believe. They want you to conform to their standard of truth. What about a politician? Now, there's no way a politician would lie to us, is there? Really? We can't trust them? See, the problem is the standard of truth. What's true for you may not be true for me. And I want to shock you this morning, okay? You ready for this? So listen. Truth is truth, regardless of you believe it, accept it, acknowledge it. Truth is truth. Amen? We have what we call a, a whole division of, of standards and weights and standards and stuff like that, which means that if you go to buy a gallon of gas in Oklahoma, you're going to get a gallon of gas. We've got a corporation that goes around and checks, makes sure that the pumps are actually giving you a gallon of gas. Now, can you imagine you buy a gallon of gas in Oklahoma, but then you go to the great state of Kansas, just north of us, and they only give you three-fourths of a gallon. Well, we, we operate by the different standard here. Oh, really? Yeah, we, we only give you three-fourths of a gallon, but we charge you the full gallon price. I, you're okay with that, right? Well, no. I want a gallon of gas, whether I'm in Oklahoma or Texas, Kansas, wherever I'm at, I want to buy a gallon of gas. And we have standards that say that's what a gallon is. Now, can you imagine you're building a house and you go out here to Lowe's and, it, it, you know, back when we could actually afford to buy lumber, if you bought a two-by-four, six-foot-long, and you were building maybe a picnic table or something, and you needed one more board, and you go out there next week and like, well, these we're only doing five-foot boards because the price of lumber went up, and it's hard to come by, so you understand. Well, no, I'm, I'm building a six-foot picnic table here, and I need a six-foot board. Well, that's our new standard. We only give you five-foot now. Do you realize that one hour of a day is the same hour whether you're in China, Russia, Japan, or United States, 60 minutes. One hour is one hour. Not 30 minutes, not 45 minutes, but one hour. Can you imagine if you're a football team and you go to play somewhere and you're used to, and you have to gain 10 yards to make a first down, but this other team thought that was unfair, so they're only going to they only have to gain seven yards for a first down. But you got to do 10, but we get to do seven. Now, that's going to put you at a little bit of a disadvantage, isn't it? It's going to be hard to compete. You've got two different standards of truth. President Abraham Lincoln was once having a very spirited conversation with a lady on this very subject of truth. And he Ask her, he goes, how many legs does a cow have? She goes, oh, that's an easy one, four. Okay. What if you call the tail on that cow a leg? How many legs would that cow have? Well, five, of course. And he goes, that's where you're wrong. 
Just because you call a tail a leg does not make it a leg. Our standard of truth is the Word of God. As believers, our standard of truth has to be the Word of God. But the problem is that our world wants us to believe their standard of truth. And they believe if they can tell you something long enough or shout loud enough or often enough that you're going to believe it and you're going to replace this standard of truth for their standard of truth. Romans 1 verse 25 said, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. You wonder why you can't have a discussion with somebody about some, some subjects sometimes, be, and you think, they don't even listen. It's because they've got a different standard of truth. If you want to have a, a, a discussion with somebody, let's say about the abortion issue, okay? I'm going to believe what the Bible says about life and when life is created in the womb. And if somebody doesn't have that standard, you're never going to come to any kind of an understanding because they've got a different standard. And the problem is the world has taken God's Word and they have manipulated it to try to create their own standard and they want you to be okay with it. That's why if someone wants to have a discussion with you or maybe a debate or a spirited discussion like that, you need to first say, let's lay out some ground rules. What's our standard of truth? If it's not the Bible, then we're never going to agree on anything because that's my standard of truth. And one day they will acknowledge that standard of truth, whether they acknowledge it on this earth or not. But you can't have a discussion with somebody when this is your standard of truth and they create their own standard. It doesn't work. The belt of truth represents knowing the Word of God and that it's truth. In fact, the Bible says a lot about truth. Listen to this. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. John 8, 32 said, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. Psalm 25, 5, guide me in your truths and teach me. Psalm 119, 160, all your words are true. Your righteous laws are eternal. You see, the belt of truth represents our standard. Our standard is God's word. But not only does it represent our standard, but it also represents us living a life of integrity and honesty. So putting on the belt of truth is more than just knowing the content truth, it's also living out truth in our daily lives. Go back a couple of chapters to Ephesians chapter 4. Read with me in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Don't even give him that opportunity. Then on down in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
You see, when you put on the belt of truth, you know what your standard is. And when you put on the belt of the truth, it keeps all the other things from getting in the way while you're trying to do battle. And you got to remember, we're in a spiritual battle. So we've got to put on the belt of truth and accept the standard of God's Word. Then he goes on in the rest of verse 14 in chapter 6 to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what does it mean to put on the breastplate of righteousness? I had several discussions with some of our staff this week about what it means to put on righteousness. Are we putting on the righteousness of Christ, or is it our righteousness? Think about that for a second. Are we putting on the righteousness of Christ, or is it our righteousness? What's he talking about here? I believe it's both. Because Paul said back in Ephesians 4, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then in chapter 5, verse 9, he said, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. You see, we put on the righteousness of Christ, and now it becomes our righteousness. The Roman soldier wore a tough uh, sleeveless piece of armor that covered the soldier from his neck really to his waist, front and back. And it was made often of leather or metal, sometimes of chain. But the primary piece of that armor was to protect the heart, lungs, and the, the vital organs inside. That's why he wore that. That's why soldiers today will wear a metal piece of steel called a trauma plate right here to protect the vital organs, the heart, the lungs. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. So not only are we to strive to live a life of righteousness, it means putting on that righteousness of Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand that? Christ is going to be righteous whether we accept it or not. Christ is going to be righteous whether we put on that breastplate of righteousness or not. He's righteous regardless, either way. We become righteous through Him. He who is without sin, He was righteous. You see that? That doesn't change. Became the righteousness for us. So we not only put on the righteousness of Christ, but it now becomes our righteousness. And when we live a righteous life, people are going to notice there's something different. It's going to come out in our actions. Righteousness is going to be something that you do. In the Hebrew mindset, the heart represented the mind and the will. So the breastplate of righteousness guards not only our hearts and our minds. And Satan realizes that if he can get into our mind, he'd really dealt us a blow. That's why we have to be so careful, the influences that we put into our mind, the people that we hang out with, the media that we absorb, the movies that we watch. 
the things that we pour into our life because they are influencing us. And when we allow the world to influence us, it takes the place of the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, and to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we put on the righteousness of Christ and now it becomes our righteousness. And our righteousness is through Christ. And and I want you to get this. Christ is righteous. Do you understand that? Regardless of whether you decide to put on that righteousness or not, Christ is righteous. We make a decision to put on that righteousness of Christ. And when we do that, now that doesn't mean you're going to be sinless, okay? There's no way that you're going to go through life sinless. That's why Christ died on the cross. But we become less inclined and less prone to sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? We, when we have the righteousness of Christ living within us, we become less prone to sin. Our oldest elder, Marion McCune, is a dear man of God. It's just hard for us to even imagine that man having an evil thought or, or a mean thought at all in his life. He's just such a godly man. I asked him, I said, Marion, you, you know, do you find yourself, the older you get and the more mature you are in Christ, wanting to sin less and less? He goes, oh, there's still ways to, to sin. He says, I still have to fight it. And when you look at Marion, he's just a, a man of God, and you think, I just can't even imagine him sinning. But he said, guess what? I still sin. But he said, the longer I serve Christ, the more of that righteousness that I put in, I'm going to be prone to sin less and less. Doesn't mean you're going to stop sinning, okay? That's not going to happen until till you leave this earth. I want to ask you something. And I, I uh, actually presented this to my small group last Sunday night. Is it possible to undo a lifetime of unrighteousness let's say you've lived your whole life as a godless heathen is it possible to undo an entire lifetime of unrighteousness by one righteous act think about that it is what is that righteous act to put on the righteousness of Christ that means you accept him as your Lord and Savior but Alan, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've, doesn't matter. You know, that lifetime of unrighteousness can be undone by one act of righteousness. Do we get that? And when we put on the righteousness of Christ, it takes the place of all the godless things that we've done in our life. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Have you put on the belt of truth? Are you guilty of exchanging the truth of God for a lie? Think of all the social issues that people are dealing with today. Do they align up with the Word of God? Have you exchanged 
your belief system for the world system and exchange the truth of God for a lie? Because that's what Satan wants you to do. You're in spiritual warfare. Have you taken every thought captive? That means is there something in my life that I'm either doing or not doing that keeps me from being fully committed to Christ? Third question, and finally, I want to ask you, are you ready for battle? Because this battle is waging whether you're ready or not. This battle, this spiritual battle is waging war against us And I'm afraid there's a lot of people who choose to fight naked without putting on the armor of God. See, it's going to happen. This battle is going to happen whether you're prepared, whether you're ready, whether you're armored up or not. It's going to happen. This morning as you came in, you were given a little uh, communion packet. Those of you that are watching at home or, or maybe you're visiting or out somewhere this holiday weekend, I hope you made some preparations before, but we are right now going to celebrate the righteousness of Christ. He who was without sin bore all of our sin. He who was without fault took on the sin of the past, the present, the future for us. So his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And that's what we get to celebrate today. As you take this loaf and cup, which is symbolic of his body and blood, we will celebrate his righteousness. If you didn't pick one up this morning on the way in, just hold up your hand and uh, Jamie will make sure you get that this morning as we take this time to commune with Jesus. Fathers, we uh, celebrate the righteousness that we have in you. I pray that your righteousness becomes our righteousness. Lord, we're so grateful and thankful for what you have done and how you have atoned for every sin that we could ever even think of. Because you lived that perfect life, you were the perfect sacrifice. You were the only sacrifice that could take away all of our sin. And we're grateful for that. And we celebrate that today in your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.